this chapter, we, uh, we read this passage for our responsive reading this morning, and this is a, a very beloved passage. I love First Peter. I think it's a very, very, very informative, very helpful book for me because it deals with the issue of how we process the reality of suffering in the life of the Christian. So I want to just entitle this teaching this morning, Standing Tall Through the Struggle. Standing tall through the struggle. How many of you want to stand tall in the midst of the suffering and the struggle that you will inevitably go through? One of the things you'll get if you read the book of First Peter is you'll get the sense that the writer anticipates and understands that suffering is an inevitable part of the Christian life. And that is not a, an idea that is new or original to Peter. It is not one that is based solely upon the fact that at the time at which he writes in the, community of, the communities of believers that he writes to that are scattered in various regions, the fact that they are beginning to undergo persecution for their faith. But also Jesus himself told his disciples, didn't he? He warned them. They did probably not, they didn't want to hear this. Like many of us don't want to hear this. Isn't it something how we have excised the, the reality of suffering from the Christian message oftentimes? And we want to couch the Christian life in terms of being just a perpetual party. And our worship is a kind of party. It also can be a time of lament. It can be a time of, of mourning. It can be a time of, of, of rejoicing because it is indicative of all the emotions and the things that we go through and that we share together. Christian life is not one never-ending party. God never promised you that you would go through life because you have faith in Jesus, that you would go through life somehow uh, immune to the struggles and the sufferings and the trials that everybody else goes through. How many of you know that's right? And so it would be dishonest and would be uh, really probably criminal for us for me to teach the Bible in such a way as to suggest that suffering and hardship and struggle and tribulation and trial are not a indeed normal part not just an unavoidable but a normal part of the Christian life as they are in life in general but in a sense more so in our in in, in the Christian life because of the fact that as Christians we have entered into a a relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ the Son that has put us at odds with the kingdom of darkness, right? You were no threat to the devil before you got saved. You were no threat to Satan's kingdom before you came to know Jesus. But now that you know Christ, now that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, now that you are living out your faith through good works, say good works, now that you're living out your faith through, un, as the scripture says, unfeigned love for the brethren, now that you are seeking to heal and to mend and to build up and to bind up and to support and to reach out to the lost and to rescue people, to snatch people from the fire, to rescue people from, from to rescue the perishing, to, res, to, to, to rescue people from, 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 all, from death and sin and all those things. Now that you're being used by God to turn other people's lives around, that you're, God is using you to be a blessing, the, the enemy doesn't like that. And so the enemy uh, basically intensifies his attacks against us and that's the basis of this Christian suffering that is, in a, sense, go, it in a sense, goes beyond just the normal adversities of life. Everybody deals with stuff like job loss and sickness and, and, uh, and folks not liking you and people getting mad at you and being misunderstood and, and feeling mi- maladjusted and all that stuff. Everybody goes through that stuff. Everybody goes through emotional yeah. ups and downs. And we as Christians do as well. And, 
and as Christians, we have, a, we have resources that help us to, to fight off and fend off depression, that help us to, 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 to think properly and think clearly. We have resources to help us to, 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 uh, to withstand even the normal things of life, the things that, would, that, would, that, that take people out don't take us out. We talked this morning about this whole thing of we sang about rejoicing in the Lord always. And Paul says, again, I say rejoice. And we rejoice and we understand that the joy we have as Christians is this unspeakable, glory-filled commodity. It is this, it is this, it, it includes this peace that passes all understanding, that transcends understanding. It is this reality that the, even the normal things of life that can be so damaging and so hurtful and so harmful to people around us that don't have the faith we have, we, we, we develop a kind of holy resilience and the ability to go through them and not only to, to survive but to thrive in the midst of those things. But we're faced with another level of challenge, and that is we're faced with the struggle that comes from standing in our faith as Christians, and the challenge is, how do we stand tall in the midst of that struggle? In other words, how do we do that and not cave? How do we, how do we face persecution and not cave? How do we face the inevitable suffering that comes along with being a Christian? And some of this, in our context, it, it, don't for a moment presume, don't be so quick to presume that you know our trials and our struggles and our suffering is on the par of, of the first century church that in Peter's context, is beginning to be experienced, not fully yet, but as we go on through the out of the first century into the second and third, it becomes intensified and it becomes very ugly and very painful. We, 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 we live a relatively coddled existence, if you will, compared. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that we don't suffer for our faith, because we don't suffer physically. We we don't suffer financially in the sense uh, the, the, these Christians to whom Peter's writing, they're dealing with social ostracism that is very severe. They're dealing with the confiscation of their resources and goods because they're basically having to stand up against a political system that is saying you either bow to Caesar or, or, or you, fa you pay the penalty. They're facing the suspicion and hatred of people that don't even understand to the extent that our culture around us understands a little bit better what we're about as Christians, although as we go on we find increasingly people don't understand Christianity and don't know what the Bible really teaches and don't know what we really believe, but they were going through this to very extreme extents. And, and so they're dealing with that stuff, but we're dealing with it on the psychic and the, 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 the psychological, the soul level, just the, the, the microaggressions that sometimes are perpetrated against us because of, uh, because of our faith, and because of our decision to follow Jesus, the things, the little tensions that we feel, the societal, the societal things, the things that come at us through popular culture and through media and other things that, 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 that tend to, to kind of be hurtful and painful and the, the pain and the angst that come from being misunderstood and mischaracterized, right? If people conclude that all Christians are intolerant and mean and bigoted and rude and insensitive and uncaring, uh, that's painful to me. Now, the other thing that's painful to me is that for a lot, on the part of a lot of Christians, that's kind of true. But it's not true of all Christians, and it's not true probably of most Christians. But sometimes the ones that are that are in the limelight or the ones that people see—that's the caricature that, that that's put out there. And so we go through persecution and we go through struggle and here's the thing as we get to this, this this teaching today one of the things we got to understand is that knowledge is power now we go we move beyond mere knowledge knowledge has to be applied knowledge has to become 
praxis. It has to become that which is walked out, but knowledge is power. And to know, there's some things that we'll talk about this, this morning over the next few, few moments, that knowing certain things, understanding and be, remaining cognizant, and remaining, remaining uh, grounded in certain truths and certain realities will help us to stand tall. And if we forget these things, if we fail to realize them, and fail to internalize them, and fail to stand on them, we find our, ourselves less... Uh, we find ourselves less equipped or not as able to to deal with the difficulty that we face. And so as we talk about standing tall through the struggle, we read the text this morning, we'll go back and look at it piece by piece. And there's a few things here that Peter is sharing, and it kind of comes out of the way he opens his letter to these Christians. And the first thing that he wants them to know, the first point is this, and he's saying to them this, he says, know that you have been chosen by God. Know that you've been chosen by God. And he, and he comes at it like this. He says, beginning in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's who he is. An apostle meaning what? A, one who's been sent by God to those who are elect. Note that word elect because that, that denotes chosenness. He says, who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling through his blood. Now, look at what he's saying here. There's a few things here, but the point of what he's saying, he, he wants his readers to understand as he initiates this, this, this letter, as he initiates this, this communication with them, he's, he wants them to know that he is identifying them and recognizing them and wants them to recognize their own status as those who have been chosen by God. A lot of words here that in effect say, I'm writing to you folks who've been chosen by God. And if I ask you how many of you have been chosen by God, most of you probably your hands would fly up. Some of you would not know because maybe you did not feel so chosen this week because maybe things have transpired in your life that have caused you to wonder if God really cares for you. Or maybe the quality of your Christian experience right now is not where it should be and it makes you wonder if God really loves you. And maybe you've been confused by some language and some of the competing theological systems within Christianity uh, that some of which would... Uh, tend to suggest to you that there are some people that have been chosen to make it and others have been chosen to not make it. None of, no, I, it would be nice to say some have been chosen to make it and some have been chosen to, to fake it, but that, that, it, it's worse than that. Some have been chosen to make it, some have been chosen to be lost, and sometimes there are people I think that are wondering, wow, am I one of the chosen few or am I one of the rejected multitude? And I have, there's a message that I've had on, 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 the, on the drawing board for a year now. But I, I want to, and, I, and I'll probably get to it this, this spring, I want to talk about this whole thing of chosenness and election uh, in the New Testament from a, a, a balance and, uh, and from the theological standpoint of Arminianism, which we as can kind of relate to more than the Calvinistic side, because um, there's, there's, there's a way that you understand Scripture that helps you to come to understand what Paul and Peter and others are talking about, that when they talk about the fact that you are the elect, you are the chosen, it doesn't mean that you are individually have been singled out and others have been singled out or others have been rejected, but it has a different and a broader and a more and a more important meaning than that. And so when we're writing to Christians, when we're talking to Christians, if you are in Christ, understand this, you have been chosen. Now let me tell you, in one sense, everybody has been chosen because 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, but everybody doesn't receive the benefit of Christ's sacrifice because everyone doesn't respond in faith. But it's not like, and we could get into the theological nuances of that, the idea of the limited atonement that some people would say, well, Christ only died for the elect. So the ones that are saved, those are the ones he died for. The rest, he didn't really die for them. I believe that the Bible makes it very clear. We looked at that. We see that in, in, in the Gospels. We see that in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians 5 and other places, this idea, if, if Christ died, then all are dead. In fact, that Christ died for humanity. Everybody doesn't receive the benefits. Everybody doesn't, doesn't get in because everybody doesn't have faith. Everybody doesn't believe. Everybody doesn't receive and accept the gift that Jesus has provided. But the fact that Jesus is that Jesus died for all people. And so everyone who comes to him, he who comes to him, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. And so Peter's saying, listen, you guys, I, I want you to understand who I'm writing to. I'm writing to the church. I'm writing to elect those who've been chosen by God if you are in Christ guess what you have been chosen by God Jesus put it this way in one place he said you did as I was said, you didn't choose me but I chose you and sometimes we think we became Christians because we made up our minds to serve Jesus and Jesus says no I chose you and I appointed you and I, I you know I selected you. you you are in the faith because I reached out to you and if you are in Jesus it's because he chose you so you are chosen and that confers upon you a certain degree of status if I it's one thing if, if I aspire to something and talk my way into something and, and, and bluff my way into a certain place in life. I, there's, a certain, there's a certain space in life that I want to occupy, a certain, maybe a certain position or a certain title. If I want to be, you know, uh, uh, something big in life, I want to say I want to be a, a movie director. And I say, I want to be a film director. So I'll, I'll just begin to talk. I'll start calling myself a film director, and I'll watch a lot of films, a lot of movies, and I'll get a couple books on film directing, and I'll get cards that say film director, and then maybe eventually somebody might say, well, you, i got a film to direct, you direct it. And, you know, but then there's just a sense that, you know, because they feel sorry for me or because I talk, there's a sense that, well, you know, I kind of talk, but, but, you, but there's this nagging down, am I really, do I really, you because know, like you ever find yourself in something and you were like, there's like, do I really belong here? I, I, was I really, was I really, you know, you ever, sometimes you're in a place like they hired you, but they kind of, you were like the way down on the list, or they hired you to give, to see if, to prove that you were going to blow it. As opposed to the things in life to where you have been really selected because you were like, you were the one, you have made your way, and, you, and, and, and there are times when people have said, we want you. There, there are times where I, I was hired into positions and it's like, okay, here's a, we, this guy, we'll take him. And there are other times that we want, no, we want you. And there's a different feeling because then the other one's like, well, well I've got to try to prove myself. I've got to try to make people think that I really am what I, what I, purport, I purport myself to be. And then when people say, we want you, we, we don't. I mean, some of the best opportunities in life that have come my way have not come because I, you know, call up people, hey, can I get on that or whatever. But so people called me and said, hey, we want you. I remember when I, when I got this thing to do, to work with Promise Keepers in like the mid-90s, and there's this one guy at Maranatha Music, this guy named Malcolm, who um, is one of the high, and, and I had done this session for this other Christian guy from the March for Jesus thing in 93 or 94, and this dude just liked me, and he liked my work, and he liked my plan, and he, and he liked me, and so I got called to this like big cattle call where all these cats were, were all, and this, and, and this was like a lot of the, some of the 
best players in Christian music at the time. And, and I thought I was, have, I thought I was like, like auditioning and stuff. Because I just, I thought, okay, so I, and I was like, hey, I'm probably not going to get this. But what I didn't understand is that it was kind of like, I was selected. And it was kind of like a formality. And Malcolm said, no, no, you're, you're in this. I'm like, oh, cool. I was chosen. And so there's a, there a certain, it's nice to be chosen, isn't it? And it's not like God plays duck, duck, goose with, with us and like, you know, it's like, okay, you're in, you're in, you're out. But it's like, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been chosen and it means you're special to God and it means that you matter to God and it means that God cares about you and it means that your place is secure. You're not, you're not sitting in somebody else's spot holding it down or keeping the seat warm for them. You've been chosen. He says, you're the elect. Now look at the language. He says, you're exiles. Understand this, this old idea of the dispersion, right? Diaspora, we use that term to, to refer to uh, uh, those who've been dispersed. And, you know, the, many of us are, are part of the African diaspora because we are part of, of people that have come from the continent of Africa or various parts of our ethnicity or our blood. And, and we're some of us are various mixtures of that. But we are part of those people who've come and have ended up all over the world. Many in the, in the United States, some in South America, some in Central America, some even in, in, you know, in, in Mexico, uh, in various parts, you know, some in the Caribbean islands, but we are a di- diaspora. We have been, we're out from our homeland. And he says, you guys as Christians, you are exiles. You are the dispersion. You are, you've, you've moved out from where you started and you're all over the place. And what do you think, one of the things that has scattered God's people is the fact that they, they're encountering persecution. And we see that early in the book of Acts. Persecution in the, in, in the first century church, in the early church, serves this interesting purpose. And one of the purposes that it serves is that it stirs people up and moves them out from the center of Jerusalem to take the gospel where they go. He says, so you guys are in Pontus, Galatia. Hey, Galatia, it sounds like a book in the Bible, right? Yeah. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, God knew you before you were born. Isn't that good news? Before even life began, the song says, my life was in his hand. In the sanctification of the Spirit, what does sanctification mean? It means that you've been set apart by the Spirit. This is your, your spot, baby. God prepared you for this. He set you apart for the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. You were chosen to this and for this set apart for this. This is your spot. This is who you are. And so one of the things you, you, you come to grips with in order to stand in the midst of all your struggles is never doubt the fact that you were chosen by God, that you're beloved by Him and precious to Him. And the enemy wants to rob you of that and wants you to feel that you don't belong, that you don't have a place in the body of Christ, that God doesn't really love you or that, or, or more subtle than that, it's like, you know, because you've, because you've messed up a few times and as, as though none of us have, right? Because you, because you have some nagging doubts and insecurities about certain things, because you struggle in certain areas of your life, the enemy wants to whisper in your ear that, oh, God doesn't care about you. You, you really don't belong here. Those are the real Christians. You ever found yourself wondering if you were like a real Christian? just got to remember what the Word of God says. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I don't care what anybody says about it. I don't care what situations say about it. I don't care what your feelings say about it. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. He says, so you, you've been chosen. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. These, these, these are believers Strangers scattered over the earth. There are people selected by 
elected and we can say selected by God, people set apart to God, covered by the blood of Christ, people who obey God. Now, that's the challenge to us. First of all, one of the attributes that marks us as Christians is that we have a bent now towards obeying God. And some of us struggle with disobedience in certain areas. But we've been chosen as recipients of his love, and we've been chosen as the recipients of his grace and his cleansing and sanctifying work, but we've also been chosen as those who obey God. And therefore, we are those who experience grace and peace. How many of you know that's right? Aren't you glad you're chosen this morning? Second thing he wants them to know is this, to know that they have a living hope. Know that you have a living hope. In verses 3 to 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving a word of praise. He says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Talking about hope this morning. Talking about hope. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us to be born again. And this is what you've been born again to, a living hope. Say living hope. I know Jesse Jackson said, keep hope alive. But this hope you don't have to keep alive. This is a living hope hope. What a rich text of scripture here. One of those passages that it, and there's so much in, embedded in, in, in this text. It would take a long time to really grasp all it's, that, that's contained. But the most wonderful thing that we get here is it's the fact that we, a reminder that we have hope. And the great hope of the believer have to say, what is that? And is, is, it, is it the fact that, is it the, the, the hope that everything will turn all right, out all right? No, it's not just that. Is it the hope that, that one day we'll get a few more dollars? No, that's a nice thing to hope for, but that's not the hope. Is it the hope that, that, um, that uh, you know, I, I don't know. I was say the hope that the, is, is there any hope for the Lakers? And we won't even go there. <laughs> This, is, this, has been a t- this has been a tough, tough, given with the events of this current weekend, this has been a tough season in basketball for L.A. people. But, but listen, listen. This, this, this hope that he's talking about, it's not something that is confined to just this sphere of existence. It's not just something that's confined to this life. Now, I, would, I, want to, I want you to understand where I'm going with this because it's not something that is just confined to the realm of eternity or the life to come either, but it's something that has to do with eternal life. And as we've come to understand eternal life, eternal life doesn't mean, eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is something you get when you trust Christ that begins here and now. It is, a, it is being ushered into a new existence that begins now, that carries you over into eternity so that you don't experience the second death. But eternal life is not something you get, wow, you know what, I want to die so I can... Maybe if you're in Christ, you've got eternal life. Jesus said it in John 17, 3. He said it like this in praying to the Father. He said, this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is, the relationship, is having this relationship with you through me. He wants his, those that are hearing him, that are overhearing him in this prayer, he wants them to understand. Eternal life is a quality of life. 
It is a kind of a new kind of life. And so this hope is the fact that we have a kind of life that brings brings stability and peace and joy and meaning and purpose to this life on this side of, of eternity, if you will, but because it's an eternal quality of life, but it is a life that will sustain us and carry us. That means we have nothing to fear from the life that comes from, from death. We have nothing to fear with the separation of our soul from this body. We have nothing to fear from death because that eternal life that is ours will carry us on through eternity. It has begun now and it remains ours and we are in that life. We are in that relationship. It is a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have. It's the privilege of living forever with God that starts now. I'm living forever, and living forever don't start when they roll me over to Harrison Ross or Angeles. Don't take me to Simpson. And they roll me. <laughs> I got I to gotta edit this, this, this podcast. <laughs> I keep hearing stuff in the news. I don't care where you take me. You can take me down to drop me off the Redondo Beach Pier. I don't care because once that, 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 that's done with, I'm off to the new thing. And the new thing has already re- begun. And so I'm living that eternal life. I don't care what you do with this body. Because if this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, we have a house in the heavens not made with hands, Paul said in Second Corinthians 5. Eternal life. That's the hope. The hope and, and understand the, the, the meaning of this. That we, it's a living hope. It's not dead. It's not the kind of, and it's not just the kind of hope that we use, because we use hope to kind of stir up positive thinking and to try to motivate people. And, you know, I mean, there are people in, there are secular speakers and, and voices who will get, can give you hope. They'll tell you if you think positive, good things will happen. That sounds good. Wow. I, that gives me a little hope. If you buy my system of, of, of flipping houses, you, 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 you can get rich, but you probably won't, but I will because I'm selling you systems of flipping houses. And if I was making so much money flipping houses, why would I be so busy selling you systems of flipping houses? <laughs> I was one of all the rich guys who, who are making all this money teaching you how to get rich. Well, if you're so rich, why do you care? <laughs> they, because this is, you know, rich dad, poor dad, go be with your dad or whatever. It's like... And I'm not saying that there's not some good things in some of that, but in some of this stuff, the game is to basically to try to get to build up some hope in you, whether, it's, whether it means anything or not. But this hope I'm talking about is not just a hope that things might get better next week. It's not just a hope that there'll be some extra money in your bank account next year. It's not just a hope that you won't get sick or that you won't, you know, that you won't have any physical infirmity or, or challenges in your life. It's not just a hope that everybody's going to like you and treat you right, because that may or may not happen. Bobby McFerrin said, the landlord says the rent is late. You might have to litigate. He said, don't worry. Be happy. I'm sorry, Bobby. You're a wonderful musician, but dude, that's the lamest advice I've ever heard in my life. The rent is late. You're in trouble. But you know, give me some more hope. Don't worry. Be happy. This isn't that kind of thing. There's nothing empty about this. This is the kind of hope, and it's something that has to get grounded in your spirit where you come to realize that, wow, I go through all kinds of crazy stuff in this life. I've got some challenges ahead of me. There's some things in my life that I really that I don't see any immediate resolution to. There's some things that I can't fix tomorrow. I'm, I'm carrying some emotional things that God is healing, but it, it might take a little time. I've got some physical things that, that I'm trusting God for, but they, they 
you know, it's taking a, it's not going on according to my time schedule. There are people around me that I can't control and I, I can't manipulate their behavior. It's not my place to. You can't make your kids do what you, what you want them to do. You can't make your relatives do what you want them to do. You can't make, but, but somehow I have this deep sense in my spirit that my life is anchored in God and that ultimately everything will be alright, whether everything is alright on this side or not. I just know that God has everything under control and the most important issue and question in my life has been resolved. Now there's some, there's some important questions. What do I do when I retire? In my case, you don't. <laughs> How do I, will I ever find love? That's not me, I'm just saying this is this kind of stuff, you know, will, will, will I ever find my, my, my perfect, the perfect job? You know, you go on and on and on. And all these questions. And, and the answer oftentimes, for, you would say, well, for Christians it would be, I mean, the guy on TV said, if you will just confess the word of God, then if you'll just say it's, that you have your perfect job now, then you'll walk into it. And millions of people have tried that. And millions of people have found out that it don't quite work like that. So you, this is, since I'm the pastor here, I, I have a license that says, I have a license to preach, but, and in there it says you can tell the truth because they love you, and if you don't tell the truth, you don't love them. You know what I'm saying? People are telling you, there's your, there, all the hope is that if you do what I say, if you read my book, if you go to my seminar, if you, if you listen to my thing, if you send me your money, that I, it, all this, I don't know if all this stuff is ever going to get fixed. I see that great men and women of God lived and died with struggles and, and things unresolved. And you know what? Some of, the, some of the greatest minds and some of the greatest saints of God, they had, they were, they had quirks and eccentricities and things about... They, they, every, they, you know, with this, 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 this elusive thing of balance, I'm just trying to find balance in my life. And man, some of us, are, some of us because of the way we're wired, we'll never find balance because we're wired and we, God created us in a way where we're, we're like here and then we're here and we're all over here and then we're all over here but somehow it ends up being where we're supposed to be because that's the way we are. And people have gone through all kinds of, all kinds of anxiety because they say your hope is in this because you never find perfection because if you're really, the, if you're really sanctified and, and filled with the Spirit, everything in your life, here, you're supposed to have it all right now. You're supposed to have perfect peace all the time about everything. You're supposed to have perfect control of your emotions, your, perfect control of your finances, perfect control of your family. You're supposed to have 2.3 kids. They're supposed to be perfect kids. You're supposed to have the perfect marriage. You and your wife always agree on everything. And she respects you and you love her and you never have nothing, no problem everywhere. And most of us have come to find out that that's not the hope that we can count on. Talked on Wednesday night about the, 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 the misguided conception that all Christians are supposed to be rich. Now, I, I don't get me wrong. I do not dislike money. And I ain't trying to be poor. Never have been and never trying to be. But the point is, I lie to you. If I, because that becomes our hope. Oh, man, my hope is that... Uh, it, and I want, I, want, I want for you, I want, I want us to experience financial stability and security. I want us to make wise decisions and do the best we can in this environment with our, with our money. I want us to apply godly principles and, and common sense and conventional and proper wisdom and knowledge. I, I want it, but, but that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the hope. Because, that, because 
the next recession that hits or the, the next downturn, it just throws everything out of kilter. And all of a sudden, if that's your hope, then there are a lot of people who, whose hopes when the Great Depression hit in 1929, they, that, their hope was in, in the prosperity they were experiencing in the stock market. And so they, they, they found themselves hurling their bodies off of ledges of high buildings and, and committing suicide because their hopes were dashed because that thing failed and they realized that it probably for the rest of they listen there are people in this current reality that for their lifetime it's not going to be what it used to be or what they thought it would be or what they hoped it would be but the one hope that we have that supersedes everything and lets us know that it is going to be alright is the fact that we have this hope in Jesus that is eternal it is a living hope and it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and it includes an inheritance not just don't you look at, man, you, sometimes you find yourself admiring and looking admiringly at those trust fund babies. Must be nice to be a Paris Hilton. Just go around doing a whole bunch of stupid stuff with, a, with, your, with your family's money. Must be nice to be a trust fund baby. To just, just, you know, hey, put some more money in my funny money account. I just need a few. I, I, I need. I gotta, I'm going to go on Rodeo to buy some shoes. Just put, put, call the accountant. Put twenty-five thousand in my, in my spending account, out of the trust. There are millions of dollars there. <laughs> Many of us know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? I, I remember the song. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Wherever he left, left his hat was his home, and. When he died, all he left us was alone. And when I was a kid, I actually thought L-O-A-N. <laughs> I think... But, you know, we... we some of us know... You went, to, you, went, you went to the reading of the will, and it was like... Um, and to you, Georgie, whatever, Smith, whatever your name is, I leave my baseball card collection. And said, what about the hundred thousand dollars? It's like, well, that has gone. And you know, the other thing about a lot of, about that kind of stuff is like, you know, we're talking about inheritance. You have seven siblings; they inherit a ten million dollar apartment building, and by the time they get through with legal fees, haggling over trying to everybody trying to, it ends up being being nothing. Seven seven dollars. No, I when I we probated my parents' estate, our probate attorney, me and my brother, we, it was fine. It was just it was just all legal. It was like, hey, hey, you know. But the attorney, he tells us, it's so nice that you guys get along because he says, I had this family and they had this apartment building. And by the time they got done fighting over it, it was all the money was gone. <laughs> but see, this, listen, 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 look, but look at the inheritance you have. This, it's, a, it's an inheritance that is more than money and it's spiritual. And look what he says, it is imperishable. What does that mean? Now, in, in, your, in, your, in your kitchen, you have two kinds of foodstuffs. There might be a third now, I don't know, but you have perishables and imperishables. In your refrigerator, you have the perishables. You have the eggs and the, and the milk and the meat. And I hope you don't just leave your meat out on the counter. The chicken. I'm going to go give me some of them skinless, boneless chicken breasts and just leave them on the counter. They'll be all right. Those are, those are your perishables. And then you have the imperishables. Those are the things that you put in your pantry. 
those, that's those, the things that are in cans, the things that are in packages, the things that won't go bad. There's some stuff that is supposed to be perishable, but it's so filled with sugar and junk that if you, if you left the Twinkies out there on the counter, you could still eat them five years from now. But the inheritance that we have, it doesn't, it's imperishable. It is undefiled. It will neither, in the words of the NIV, it, will, it, it can neither perish, spoil, nor fade. It cannot diminish. It cannot re be reduced. It will not get smaller. It will not be damaged. It is not subject to all of the filth of this world. There's nothing that can touch it. It is an untouchable inheritance. Can you, there's nothing in the world like this. There's nothing in the world like this. People talk about, I want to I have me gold. You know what? You got gold. Your gold. They can steal your gold. But this, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled. And, and the reason they can't steal it, where is it kept? I know, so I got me a little, I got a little lockbox back in my closet. I'm not saying I do, I'm just saying you, hypothetically. <laughs> I don't have no lockbox. I ain't got nothing to put in a lockbox. But <laughs> uh, you can mess with me and say, I got, I'm going to go to Home Depot and give me one of those, one of those safes. Home Guard 2000. costs $150 and has an electronic lock on it and a regular lock with a key. And I, I'm going to put all my, all my valuables in there. And I'm going to put that back in my closet. And they come and rob your house. They just steal the whole safe and take it somewhere and crack it open. And you say, well, I'm going to get a fireproof safe. I'm, I don't know. And somebody comes and says, we know how to unbolt it. We're going to go under the house and drill the bolts out. There's nothing in this world that's, that, that is beyond the reach of corruption and decay. Nothing that is beyond the reach of, of, of thieves and all that. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where, where moth and dust corrupt uh, and, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven because it's, it's beyond all that. He said, it's kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. This is the hope you have. It's more than just a probable hope. You see, and I always have to say this because when we talk about biblical hope, we could become misguided. Because when church is over, I might say, man, I hope the line isn't too long at the buffet. But the reason of the matter is that it may or may not be. I can say, I hope that it's 80 degrees tomorrow and it's going to probably be about 70. I can say, I, some of you can say, we can, I can say, I hope the Lakers do better next year. I hope, I, I hope the Dodgers pull off a chance. You know, all these things, because it's like, they're, some of those things are pro pretty positive prospects, but some of them are like kind of out there. You hope that I'll stop preaching in about two or three minutes too. But you probably, you know, you probably... <laughs> we hope that people will do the things in life that we desire for them to do. We hope that people will treat us the way we want to be treated. And none of those things provide any, any reasonable sense of surety. None of those things provide any sense of security for us. A lot of earth, earthly hope has to do with... I genuinely and deeply desire 
and look forward to the, the possibility and maybe probability that certain things will be like I want them to be. But oftentimes it's a toss-up. I hope that I get treated right. I hope that I hope my kids you know, take care of me when I'm older. I hope this, I hope that. But biblical hope is a whole different animal, my friend. And I'm going to put, put a pen in it and stop here in a moment. But let's drive this point home because I want you to get this. Biblical hope is a whole different animal than the kind of hope. And, that's, and I know like when, 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 you know, we talk about Jesse Jackson said, keep hope alive. And, and we go in the community, we preach hope. We want to, you know, up with hope, down with dope. And still that hope that up with down, up with hope and down with dope. You know, want hope in the community, hope in the neighborhood, hope, in, in, you know, hope, 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 hope in the hood, whatever, hope in our nation. You know, it's still, there's still something about that. It still is a yearning and a longing and, and a desire based upon a contingency of things that may or may not happen. You know, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because they are predicated upon the response of sinful human beings like you and me. So if I, I say I have hope that, that we can turn this community around, I do, but it's not like biblical hope. Why? Because the thing is that it's going to be contingent upon people wanting to change and people stepping up and doing the right things. It's going to be contingent upon human beings with free will doing the things that would make that happen. I hope that there are certain things we can do as a church, uh, and by the grace of God, those things will come to pass. But listen... Everything that we set out to do and everything we hope to do doesn't happen. Why? Because sometimes the resources aren't there. Sometimes we're not there. Sometimes there are things that, that in us that, that block us from that. Sometimes we're, you know, so that, that's human hope. But biblical hope is an entirely different thing. Biblical hope is a kind of certainty. It's not the kind of hope that may or may not come to pass. The hope that God gives us is this living hope, this hope that is real and true, that actually exists, a hope that is active and functioning. It acts and works both within the heart of the believer and within heaven apart from the believer. And that's the difference because our hope is based upon realities that transcend this realm and it transcends you and I and even our will and our abilities and our resources. It's about a life that exists in another world, in the realm of the Spirit. And that world is more real than the world we live in here. And so our hope for eternal life, it lives, acts, and works within the believer now, even while we're on earth. It's not that the believer is going to receive eternal life. See, this is the difference. I, my hope is not that I'm going to receive eternal life. My hope is in the fact that I've already received that eternal life. And my hope for eternal life is a living, acting, and working thing right now. In other words, my hope is built on nothing less, the songwriter said, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And that that hope is rooted in Christ, it's outside of me. And so it's a done deal, an established thing. It is something that we can trust in and rest in and believe on and stand in now. That's what biblical hope is. It's not I hope that Jesus comes back. It's like I know he's going to come back and when he comes back I know I'm, that, I'm, that I'm with him. It's not I hope that I, I, when I, I go to heaven when I die it's not, I know that I have the gift of eternal life. It's not I hope that in the end God sets everything straight and that Jesus subdues all things. No, the hope I have is the assurance based upon the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that that is exactly what is going to happen. 
That's the hope we have. And so that's why he says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's nothing, there's no other hope in this world that, that's worth, st- I wouldn't bet my life on too much in this world other than Jesus. I wouldn't bet my life on the economy. I wouldn't bet my life too much on people. I wouldn't bet my life on myself because I don't trust myself that much because I'm fallible and subject to fail. I could blow it at any moment. I'm just a, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God just like you are. Let me tell you something. I don't bank on anything. The one thing I will stand on, the solid rock is Jesus Christ. The only thing in this life that you can really count on is Jesus. Nothing. You can't count on this economy. You can't count on any political system of this world. You can't count on any any institution of, 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 among humanity. You can't count on anything that people do. You can't count on this physical planet. You can't count on nothing but Jesus. That's our hope. And so Peter's saying, listen, don't you understand? Know that we, you have a living hope and let that living hope undergird you when you're struggling. Let that living hope enable you to stand tall knowing that the, it's like this, you know, Stephen Covey made this, this, this uh, statement popular in the seven habits of highly successful people the thing begin with the end in mind that, sounded, that was really deep dude was really well you know, that, that's exactly what God does all the time he got that, that, he got that from God because God always has begun with the end in mind God always had a plan God had a plan from the foundation of the earth. The Bible says before the foundation of of the earth, he chose us in Christ. He knew us before the foundation of the earth was laid. God, sin didn't take God by surprise. Man's disobedience didn't take God by surprise. And God uh, had a plan and immediately enacted that plan to bring us to redemption. And the whole story of salvation we see in the scripture, that's all a part of the plan of God. Nothing takes God by surprise. God always began with the end in mind. And God has the end in mind in view right now. And he knows the outcome. He knows the end of the story. He knows the culmination, the end point of our lives. He knows where we're going to end up. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in Christ, you will end up eternally secure in him. You will end up in an in, in eternal relationship with him. You'll end up, you're going to be all right. Everything is taken care of. You have nothing to fear and nothing to worry about. And that doesn't minimize or trivialize the day-to-day concerns that we face as being human beings. I know that you're still worried. The first is coming up and we still got to pay the rent or the house now. School's going to be out in a few weeks. You know? Some of y'all still got to get, got to pass those tests, get it, turn in those final projects, get those grades and trying to get into college. You still got to get ex- I understand that all, the, all the, the regular things of life still go on and all those things. And, and this, this, isn't, this isn't meant to trivialize that or to negate that. But here's the thing. There's that level of reality where we live. We live down here with our feet firmly planted on the ground. And again, Christians live, you know, we, we live in the same world that everybody else lives in. And God gives us favor and grace and does supernatural things. And he's, he answers prayer and all that stuff. I believe that with all of my heart. But listen, listen. I understand. When you get up tomorrow morning, you're going to face, you know, the, the 405 is not going to part like the Red Sea for you. Or the 105. I hate the 105. Because it's not supposed to be that crowded out there going east on that little freeway. Going, Where are these people going out to like, you know, past the... Where are they going out to 105? What's out there? Every time I get out there in But you know, you're going to lift up your staff. You're on the, one, you're on the 405. You're going to want to go to the valley from down here. You lift up your staff. And then the police come up behind you and basically handcuff you and take you to death. They think 50, 51, 50 you because they think you're crazy. Because you... 
you, you, you're not going to part the Red Sea. Most of you are not going to go home and speak over your, 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 your checkbook. I, I command money into thee in the name of the, you know. Most of us are going to go to work tomorrow. We're going to pay our rent on the first. Or not and deal with the landlord. We're going to deal with the bills. We're going to deal with the irritations of life in, a, in the modern world, in a big city, in a big crazy city like L.A. with the love-hate relationship we have with this place. It's a fascinating, wonderful amalgamation of all kind of people from all over the world, millions and millions and millions of people. And, and it's a it, it, wonderful, fascinating, amazing place that just drives you up the wall sometimes because it's too crowded and too crazy and so many things don't make sense. And I drive down Sentinel and I was realizing how bad the street is and you know, the fact that I was a Christian didn't make the bumps on my tires any better. But what ha happens is that there's another level where the enemy is trying to go at my peace. I'm just about done. There's another level where, on another real level, all that stuff, I deal with that. But the, the enemy wants me to feel that I'm not the recipient of God's favor. The enemy wants me to feel that Jesus doesn't love me. The enemy wants me to feel there's something wrong with me. And that somehow, when he, Jesus said, whosoever will, he did not, that wasn't that what you weren't in that call. The, the devil wants me to worry and to fret and to wonder and to be, be afraid about the end of my life and to worry about how long I'm going to live and what's going to happen when I die and does God really care about me and what's going to happen when I go. But listen, the hope we have in Jesus, Peter wants his readers to understand, know that you're chosen and know that you have a hope and understand that since God selected you, Paul put it this way, Paul put it this way and I'm going to close on this. He said, understand this, he says, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And if God is for us, if God has chosen us, if God has given us this hope, who can be against us? And one answer is like, a lot of people are against us, but it doesn't matter. That's a rhetorical, who can stand against us? Who can prevail against us? No weapon formed against me shall prosper, because God has my back. And so as I face all of the trials and tribulations this week has to bring, as I face the inevitable suffering that comes from being a Christian, the things I had to say no to, the pain in my spirit that I experienced because of the rejection and because of the things in life that don't make sense and the things that I agonize over, the one thing that I will stand in is the knowledge that I have been chosen by God and I have a hope that's reserved in heaven for me. It cannot perish, spoil, or fade. It is incorruptible. It is beyond the reach of, of any damage in, in this realm. We have got it going on. We are blessed. And we stand in that. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and we're going to pray and go home.